Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. And I just want to uh, note that that's the best enunciation I've ever heard from Sammy during the intro to the podcast. Oh, you you listen to the intro every single time, and I'm sure you shake your head like, why don't we do second takes? Why don't we do third takes? I don't just <laughs> listen to the intro every single time. I wake up to the intro as the alarm on my phone. I have the intro as my ringtone. The right. doorbell on my house plays the intro when the few people who die in to visit me show up. It's uh, a... <laughs> It's Hello. a lifestyle. What can I say? <laughs> Hello and welcome. Yes. Um, in case it's the first time you're listening to our podcast, uh, you know what? We just talk about cars for about 45 minutes. Ben is a automotive journalist, and he can you can find his work all over the internet. Ben, tell them where you can find the, uh, where they can find your work. You can find me at Inside Hook, at Haggerty, and at Motor Trend. And you can find my work at Autotrader.ca, uh, EV Pulse, and TechSpot. Ben, I want you to start off the conversation this week because you had a new Jeep, the one that everyone's dying, dying to hear about, right? Well, it's, it's newish. I mean, there's parts of it that are newer than others, and that's what makes it interesting. Um, specifically, I had a Jeep Wrangler Unlimited, and it was powered by the 3-liter Eco Diesel V6 Semi. Okay, so Ben, there are 52 weeks in a year, I believe, and you drive a jeep for approximately i don't know 48 of those weeks it feels like you're in a new jeep every day what is the deal with this with this wrangler that you haven't experienced in the past sammy jealousy is the ugliest of emotions <laughs> uh, i can't remember i don't even remember the last jeep i, I drove maybe that's my problem oh it was a re- it was a renegade it that certainly my, sounds like you that have is s- my problem yeah some kind of problem uh, related to jeep but in any case, the EcoDiesel is something I've been interested in for a while because it's a great motor. It's uh, something I've enjoyed in the uh, Ram and the Jeep Grand Cherokee. It's made by VM Motori in Italy and uh, shipped overseas to Chrysler, who put it in not nearly enough vehicles, in my opinion. But people have been dying for a diesel Wrangler for decades. I think there was a diesel Jeep way back in the 60s, like a very small displacement diesel. But this current diesel engine, it's got some impressive power. It makes 462 pound-feet of torque, Sammy, which is, I mean, that's a lot of torque. <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, it, that comes on at 1,400 RPM, and I think it stays until, like, just under 3,000. So there's a really fat torque band for, you know, what you would expect from any diesel motor. And uh, it also comes with 260 horsepower and an 8-speed automatic transmission. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, automatic. You cannot get the 6-speed manual that all the other Wranglers get. Uh, with the V6 diesel. I need to correct myself. The turbo four-cylinder also comes with eight-speed only. So those are the two two auto box versions of the Wrangler. So you can only get the uh, manual transmission in the the V6? Yeah, apparently. Okay. Um, I wanted to talk to you about this motor because I recall this motor being around, um, I don't know, 20... 15 maybe 2016 yeah 2014 Um, i think was when it came out i don't know if that was the model year or the calendar year but that's that's when it was first introduced that's when we could drive um fca products with this eco diesel branded um six cylinder and and has anything changed since then i can't remember i remember this being a pretty good engine back then uh and i think things have progressed a little bit um i'm usually driving it in a grand cherokee but I would love to know if things are either more refined or if they're a little bit more uh, responsive when you're driving it in the in the Wrangler. 
I can't, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I want to say it has a little bit more power, and, and by power I mean torque, than it did previously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but largely, it's it feels very similar to other implementations in the FCA lineup, and that's that's a good thing. I mean, this is an engine that's not going to give you a lot of power off the line. Uh, like any diesel, it's a little bit slow to wake up, but once it gets going, it, the torque band is, as I mentioned earlier, really fat, and you notice it especially on the highway. If you floor this thing while you're already doing maybe 55, 60 miles an hour, there's mm-hmm. a decent amount of, of pickup. And uh, that's particularly impressive because I was driving uh, a Wrangler Unlimited, as I mentioned, and it was a Sahara trim level, and it weighs like 4,680 pounds, which is really, really heavy. So the diesel doesn't make it feel like it weighs that much. And it's comparable in some ways to how the the Turbo Diesel 4 – sorry, not Turbo Diesel 4. Just the the Turbo. uh, The Turbo 4 feels – um, on the on the highway, it's got like a nice surge. It's not going to knock you back, but you don't ever feel like the engine is struggling at any point. So, I mean, you mentioned now you've done you've done the easy part for me. You mentioned the turbocharged two liter four cylinder engine, um, and mentioned that it feels pretty uh, confident in terms of uh, in in gear acceleration. I guess is the best way to describe it. That four cylinder did, and I, I remember you being fairly impressed enough uh, impressed enough with that motor. So why do we get the diesel? What's so special about this diesel? Well, I mean, it has almost double the torque. Maybe not double, but another 200 pound feet. I think the or close to that. I think the uh, diesel, the turbo diesel. I keep saying turbo diesel four. The turbocharged four cylinder is something like 280 pound feet of torque. 295. Rough, 285, and this is 465. So this is 462. So that's a really big difference. And where the power is found is also different. I mean, it comes on much lower in the the diesel. But the really big difference between those two motors is fuel economy. So uh, in the big version of the Wrangler, the four-door version, you're going to get 29 miles per gallon, um, which is pretty impressive. For for Sorry, with the diesel or with the... Yeah, with the diesel for highway mileage. And uh, combined mileage is something around 25 miles per gallon. And that's what I saw when I drove it, too. And it was cold here. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's impressive. I I got 24, 25 miles per gallon. Most of that was around town driving. Um, I think that that's 4 to 5 miles per gallon better than the Turbo 4. I can't remember off the top of my head if you can get the Turbo 4 in the Unlimited as well as the the two-door version. Because there's so many different versions of the Wrangler. It's getting tough to keep track of them all. But yeah. I do know that it is, you know, 20 to 30% more fuel efficient. And as anyone who's driven a diesel can attest to, uh, the, factory, the factory specs for fuel efficiency for diesel motors are usually on the low side. So mm. depending on your driving style, you could probably eke out more than that on the highway, even with a heavy non-aerodynamic vehicle like the Wrangler. I think that's what's really important is that when you take into consideration the body style, the, the design of a Wrangler, you don't really anticipate it being... First of all, there's a ton of wind noise, and there's a lot of like buffeting from the wind as well, and that usually really does impact the fuel economy, just the way the aerodynamics of this vehicle. And for it to still manage 29 um, miles per gallon, that's pretty impressive. And um, I'm I'm on board with that because I think that turbocharged four cylinders do not get the same fuel economy that you would expect or, or that the EPA rates them for. Never, like it, it feels so much more of a of a hassle to get the, that kind of good fuel economy. While in comparison, I think a, a six-cylinder, especially a turbo six, I mean a diesel six, will be far more easier to accomplish those those higher fuel economy ratings. It's interesting that you mentioned noise and wind noise. The vehicle that I had was the Sky One Touch Top, which is a, it's like a retractable canvas top 
with uh, solid rails on either side. Okay. Um, and it was extremely loud when I was driving on the highway. And not just on the highway, when you start up this diesel Wrangler, it is also loud and clattery, more so than in the Grand Cherokee or the the Ram. I think Jeep has said that they put extra sound ending into the diesel versions of the Wrangler, but it's getting through. I don't know if it's because there's so many different, you know, so many aspects of the Wrangler can be taken apart and folded down and opened up. Uh, that might be contributing to the amount of noise that comes in, but it was unpleasant. And on the highway, there were times where I kind of had to raise my voice when I was talking to my passenger and, you know, it was drowning out the music. It's, it's definitely the noisiest implementation of the FCA diesel. Um, the other thing about the Sky One Touch that was kind of... I'd driven it a year or so ago in a gas version of the Wrangler, but it was during the summertime, and that's great because yeah. you can open it up and it feels warm and everyone's happy, but so much cold came through while I was driving that it really made the, it made the cabin uncomfortable, and I want to explain why it became uncomfortable. The, the diesel engine itself, Sammy, just couldn't generate enough heat through the climate control system to keep the cabin comfortable. Wow. Um... That's unfortunate. So you were kind of chilly in this car, huh? I was like, chilly. No matter it, what? This even is when a, you got on the highway? Even when I got on the highway. This is not exclusive to uh, the Eco Diesel. I would say I the majority of diesel vehicles I've driven during the winter, smaller displacement cars, it's not as bad. But anything large, for some reason, uh, particularly pickup trucks... The, the cabins get cold and it's you really have to crank the heat past what you think would be normal like uh, I found myself not even really able to use the auto function on the climate control I had to manually control the vents and and the heat that never really happens on a modern vehicle so that's I'm kind laughing of... because we've had conversations about how rare we actually enjoy the auto fun. See, if this one had the three-stage auto button, maybe you'd be into that. Right? That it need, I auto. think it would have needed a fourth stage. I think like it's <laughs> It's just it's not like I was freezing, but I was just never comfy, you know, and that's a weird feeling. And and again, it's a combination of diesel not really warming up that much and the Sky One Touch roof, which is a huge I don't mean it just over the the driver. It goes all the way back to over the passenger. So you have this massive open area that's like flapping around in the wind. I also have um at least I think I have a memory of the Wrangler's interior having some more exposed like um like metal, I think, and that kind of gets uh, chilly when you leave it out in the in out overnight, and that takes a while to warm up as well, right? Well, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sitting on the metal, so <laughs> um, talk to, unlike talk you, to... I'm not drawn to exposed metal with my bare. I mean, I am just always willing to touch it and <laughs> and lick the frost off of it. Um, can you talk to me about this Sahara um, trim level? Is that what you drove? Yes. Yeah. So it's you can get the diesel on any trim level of the Jeep, which is nice. Uh, the Sahara starts at around thirty eight thousand, I believe. It's somewhat better equipped than a sport, but the real the real thing about the Sahara is you can get access to a bunch of options packages. So mine was loaded up with, you know, had the nicer Uconnect infotainment system with the bigger screen. I had the cold weather package, which helped given how, you know, chilly it was outside and inside the Jeep. So I had a heated steering wheel, heated seats, and a remote starter. Um, it also came with a bunch of advanced safety gear. So you can okay. get stuff like adaptive cruise control and whatnot. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of what Sahara Sahara gets you. You can also get, of course, the Sky One Touch roof, which is four thousand dollars. By the way, that's a it's a very expensive option. Um, but it's not the most expensive option when you're talking about an eco diesel. The engine itself costs four thousand dollars as well, okay. 
Okay. And not only that, but the eight-speed automatic that's included with it isn't really included with it. It's just necessary. So you pay for that too, which is another two thousand dollars. So six thousand dollars, and yeah. they won't tell you that price up front when you go to the build a site, a building build a car site. You click on one, and it's like, okay, now we're going to add this, the two thousand dollars transmission as well. Yeah, so you end oh. up paying six grand more. So you could really, I mean, the Rubicon is the top tier level Jeep, right? So right. you have Sport, Sahara, Rubicon. Even the mid tier Sahara, the one I drove, was almost $60,000 after options because I had, I mean, the diesel engine and the Skyroof alone are 10 grand. Right. So you um, can, it's very easy to add up uh, all these little bits and bobs and baubles that you want to include on your build. And, uh, I would have a hard time spending this much money on this level of Jeep. I think on a Rubicon, if you want a super hardcore off-roader, it makes sense. But on a Sahara, $60,000 is harder to swallow. Okay, wait. But, like, a Rubicon comes with a bunch of um, equipment that I'm not sure is super necessary for the average driver. I mean, it comes with, like, some really hardcore off-roading um, gear. And so I want to know if the Sahara has, like, the same sort of transfer cases or like lockers or uh, sway bar disconnects or anything like that the difference between the vehicles is you don't get the rock track four-wheel drive which i think is the extra low granny gear for uh, crawling okay um i get the sway bars i don't know off the top of my head whether you get them with the sahara i don't don't think think so so. the the, you're talking about the ones with the remote the remote disconnect right right uh as for lockers again good question i think it's it's on dana's so okay. it's entirely so, yeah. possible. But uh, it, the Sahara is a decent off-road rig, and the diesel has a slightly different suspension system compared to any of the gas versions of the Sahara. It's a little more stiff, and you can kind of notice it just driving around town. It's because of the extra weight of the drivetrain. So it's uh, they also had to move some skid plates around because of how there's a, there's a tank, not just a fuel tank for diesel, but you also have a DEF tank, All the right. uh, diesel exhaust fluid. So they had to locate that and then they had to move the skid plate for that. Um, but it, you, you said average driver. I don't see why an average driver would buy this vehicle. I think you really have to be an enthusiast to buy a diesel Wrangler. I think in some ways what? it makes sense. Yeah, because it's so expensive, Sammy, and it's not as comfortable as any other SUV, really. So you have to really want it. And I'm not sure whether you would make up the fuel costs. I'm sorry, whether the fuel costs would make up for the extra price of the drivetrain. Like, the EPA kind of lists the fuel costs for all versions of the Jeep as being the same because diesel fuel is more expensive in most areas. Right. So, again, it's using less fuel, but I I don't know if that's going to make a difference on a month-to-month basis. I don't agree with you. I think that um, people are drawn to the Jeep because of its styling and it's kind of its reputation. Even if you aren't an off-roader or an enthusiast, you can find an appeal to that. Um, And then you'll probably you'll probably reach to the Sahara because of that diesel option, which is better in terms of fuel economy. The diesel can go. You can get a diesel with a Sport too. You can get a diesel with a Sport. Okay. Diesel on any version of the Wrangler. The Sahara looks kind of cooler. Okay, but I I I don't agree I with you that you, average. I want to change the I want to change the subject because I know this part is all is all subjective. It doesn't you know what it, that doesn't really like that doesn't totally matter to to well, everybody. I think it, but 
I think it kind of matters in that you have a $60,000 SUV and who's the customer? Like, But every Jeep is expensive. And not only that, when you buy a Jeep, you have to have some buffer for all the accessories and options and Mopar doodads that you're going to get for your Jeep anyways. Nobody wants to drive a, a stock Jeep, it seems. like. So I think that there, this is like paying a lot of money for a Jeep is standard. It's like the regular thing. And, and anybody who seems interested in it, I'm going to tell them that you should probably also save a couple of bucks for personalization because um, there's something about the Jeep aftermarket that kind of is appealing too. Well, it's going to be hard to save that money if you're spending six grand on the diesel engine. You know, <laughs> the, like the no, diesel. 4,000 on the, on the engine and 2,000 on the transmission. But the, the, the thing to me about this vehicle is, I mean, you have the Rubicon, which is for the hardcore people, right? Yeah. So, and you have the Sport, which is for the not hardcore people, and you've got a couple gas engines for that. And then right. you have the Sahara for people, I guess, who want to drive comfortably every day. So where does the diesel come in? Is the diesel aimed at people who have a Rubicon and want to have more range out on the trail? Because you'll get that. And they also want to have a better low-end torque control because they'll get that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, or is the the... Eco diesel aimed at people who want better day-to-day fuel mileage in their mid-tier Jeep. I just, if it was a lot cheaper, I could see that being real. But at the current price point, it just seems like this is a hardcore engine option for hardcore Jeep fans who are probably already buying the Rubicon. And if you're spending sixty grand, I have to say, buy the Rubicon. Does the diesel? I always imagine that the diesel could also tow better for the few people who want to tow with their Wrangler as well. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's mm. I, I think it's largely platform and brake dependent for the Wrangler, but I'm not sure. Um, the other thing that I thought was worth mentioning is that um, for 2021, there's going to be a V8-powered version of the Rubicon, which has 470 horsepower and 470 pound-feet of torque. Now, if the people forgot what the what the torque figures were on this diesel, that is just I think like 10 or 20 pound-feet of torque more than what this diesel has. So yeah. It, it, that might not feel like a lot to somebody who's already been driving the, di- the diesel version of the car. Yeah, but they're going to drive dramatically differently. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, anything else you want to add? I mean, I, I truly wanted to talk to you about this because the you do seem like you like between me and you, I think you have far more experience in these Wranglers. You've driven two two door, four door. You've driven a Gladiator. You've driven different trim levels, different. Um, uh, roof options and different engine options. I feel like you uh, uh, between the, between us two, you have the most complete um, it, like um, opinion of what this Wrangler, this generation Wrangler, can be and what its best um, configuration is. For me, if I was buying, you know, I really like this diesel engine. I really like it in the Ram. I think it's great and it's very good in the Grand Cherokee. I would, if I was buying either of those vehicles. If I wasn't buying an SRT Grand Cherokee, I would be buying a diesel. So it's 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 a drivetrain that I, I, I like a lot. I would not buy it in the Wrangler. I would buy the Turbo 4. I think it's a really good motor. It's much quicker than the V6, or at least it feels quicker. And that's often the same thing, you know, just because it's got that extra jump off the line with the extra torque. Um, but... I like the two-door Wranglers. I just think that they're more true to the spirit of what the Jeep is, and I like the form factor. I would get a two-door, two-liter diesel Rubicon, probably. And, and you know, the Rubicon, is it's a handful on the highway because of those big tires and, and the suspension and whatnot, yep. but it looks really good. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> I, I would be the guy with the poser Rubicon. <laughs> even though Even though the... The four cylinder doesn't come with a manual. 
Yeah, I don't think it matters to me. Honestly, that's really cool. Like any any truck that you shift yourself, like with a a clutch pedal, they're not fun to drive in a modern context. I find that most of those transmissions have really long throws, and it's not an enthusiast kind of thing. It's the kind of thing that's aimed at people who are either towing and they're hardcore about having a clutch to tow with, or they're off roading and they're hardcore about being able to control their gear selection. Mm -hmm. I think for everything else, um, the the eight speed automatic in the Wrangler is excellent. Okay. Anything else you want to add? No, I think I'm good. Um, I'll change uh, direction and talk about a sedan, of all things. And I'm talking about a luxury sedan. This is the, the brand new 2021 Lexus IS. Now, if I told you that, if, if I showed you a photo of this vehicle and then told you that it has the same powertrain as the last Lexus IS, you'd be telling me, is this just, you'd be asking me, is this just a, a refresh? And normally I would say yes. But Lexus insists that this is a new generation of the product, even though uh, it seems like the chassis is the same. Um, the dimensions are, are more or less similar. It's a tiny bit wider than the, than the outgoing product. It uses the same engines and powertrains, which means um, there are four engines, uh, a turbo four um, and two versions of the same 3.5 liter V6, including an eight-speed automatic for that four-cylinder and a six-speed automatic for those six cylinders. What is the deal with this car? Like, I need to, I need to, I need to ask anybody out there if the Lexus IS in this 2021 configuration sounds appealing in any way or form. Because to me, it seems like the same car that they haven't done enough to. I don't see how you can offer a credible luxury sedan with a six-speed automatic transmission <laughs> in 2021. So the, the things that the, the changes that they have made, and, and truly the most significant change that Lexus has made is with the infotainment system and the interior of the car. The infotainment system, while the touchpad is still there, the remote touch touchpad that you and I have both cursed, is still there. The touchscreen actually, there, there actually is a touchscreen that you can use while driving. It's not just locked to when you're in park or something. You can use it while driving. Um, and there's Android Auto and Apple CarPlay support. So, you know, let's throw our hands up in the air and say that um, Alexis finally did change something um, significant and for the better here. But in every other way, I feel like this car hasn't really changed um, enough for us to, to, get, uh, to, to remember about it. Because the sports sedan segment is very strong right now. Um, there is Not only is there a G70 from, from Genesis, the BMW uh, 3 Series is excellent. Uh, the Mercedes C-Class has a fantastic interior. Audi A4 is really nice. It's, it's so hard to say that Lexus has a product here that is worth looking at. With the exception of somebody who wants a, a known commodity, and that is a Lexus which will have low running costs, few trips to the dealership, um, and has a very predictable lifespan. Well, you know, they only sold 14,000 of these last year, Sammy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's I mean, a piddling that is number. The last, that is the last – they haven't done anything to the car in a, in a while, and this is their closest thing to a, to a new generation that they've, they've thrown in. And I mean, they've never sold more than fifty thousand. So, like for the last five years, the highest highest number is like forty thousand units sold. This is a this vehicle is not important to Lexus, and I can understand why. After years of downward sales trends, they don't want to invest that much money into it. So, are they just waiting to know to to? It feels like, and and you know what? I need to add something here. Lexus has shown that they are an extremely competent automaker. They have shown us in the past and in the present that they are capable of making fantastic products. They have 
and, and truly, if you look at Halo or flagship vehicles like the Lexus LC that you and I have both drooled over, um, and and other products, even the the Lexus ES uh, lineup have shown really good competency, attention to detail. And I was thinking that we would get some of that trickling down into the IS, be it the, the same craftsmanship in the interior or that really impressive sounding motor from the, from the you know, that focus on, on audio that the LC has. And while the so. IS has that uh, really fancy Mark Levinson sound system, they, I don't know, they don't do themselves any favor with this product. I think, though, you've just named the only two competitive Lexus products. With the-, the LC, which is a competitive in a segment where very few sales ex- occur just mm-hmm. because of the price point, and the ES, which has long been a go-to uh, midsize luxury sedan for people. Uh, the IS is not competitive. The GS is not competitive, and it's it's on its way out. Yep. The LS has never really found a, fo- a following in its modern form. Which is a shame because I think there was a generation of LSs or two generations of LS that were actually really strong um, competitively. But it feels like the latest one just didn't accomplish what it should have been able to. And you have the GX, which is a dinosaur. Yeah. The LX, which is a different kind of dinosaur. Although not, it's 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 appealing in a way. Yeah. But because of you know the off road aspects of it, but it's very hard to AB the LX against any other vehicle in its class, like three row luxury sedans, and come away feeling like it's somehow on the same level. Yep. And then you have the NX, which is largely largely been ignored. Yeah. And you the UX, which is an interesting vehicle that um, has potential. But I'm not sure where it falls when people are shopping for an entry-level subcompact crossover. So, like... Uh, you forgot I, to mention, like, their most popular product, the RX, which is... Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. I, I, that's that, that's completely correct. So the RX is just as important as the ES and the, the LC, for sure. So you have three very, very... Sorry, I need, to, I need to cut you off here. The weird thing about the RX is it hasn't moved the needle in a long time either. It really hasn't done a lot to make itself stand out. It just manages to sell because I think it sits at a price and size point that nobody else can really um, compete with. Well, I think I'll say something that is maybe controversial, but I don't think Toyota really cares about innovation. And I think that as a company, they have historically, at least for the last 20 years, been very happy to continue selling products that do well in very similar form. How and not you say take- that? This is an automaker who started, re- remade the LFA halfway through or more than halfway through its development, sold this wild supercar and insisted that this is going to be the direction of the automaker going forward. And that was like eight years ago. So you're saying so you're saying that they because they made one car they're somehow an innovate they're a car company that prizes innovation they're also a car company that has sold the Tundra in its existing form since <laughs> 2008 the Tacoma since like 2005 yeah and um, the Corolla uh, was was a car that you know lagged on and on and on in the same form the right. Camry is not radically different than it has been it's it's a car that's been very iterative and evolutionary are you and kidding saying- no hold on I think that Lex uh, sorry now that we're, we're changing the direction to Toyota and Toyota has has invested in a new platform and uh, I think new engines are also on the way that they're showing some sort of like uh, like progress and and it's they've sure, also it's- They've also they also innovate when it comes to hybrids, although they're taking their time with their plug-in hybrid models. Um, and, and same thing with Lexus. Where are all the plug-in hybrids of Lexus? Why doesn't the IS all every car in the Lexus lineup, I think, except for the GX and the LX that you mentioned, has a hybrid option. Except for the IS that's coming out as a new generation product has has still has a vehicle with a 
with the same six-speed automatic transmission that it had two generations ago. I, I, I just think that Toyota picks one or two models that they decide to take chances with, like the Prius mm-hmm. or, or the LC. And the rest of the cars, if they're doing okay, they just leave them doing okay. I mean, the TNGA platform, yeah, it's new. And we got to, I guess you could say that the Highlander Mm -hmm. is significantly different in its current generation. But I wouldn't call it innovative in any way. I wouldn't call it risk-taking. It's uh, The the company is fairly conservative when it comes to making changes. And they're okay with offering the same experience in a different package rather than pushing the limits but then what is the point of Lexus if they don't try to be if they're not going to try to be bold with any of their decisions, any of their engineering, any Well, they're bold with the LC and that's pretty much it. The other vehicles are largely comfort vehicles that sell to an existing base. And that's not that's not a bad business model. I mean, no. if they're getting lots of ES sales and lots of RX sales, then good for them. Okay. Uh, not not every car has to be exciting or innovative, but like if you if you're not really a full lineup automaker, and you pretend to be one, I think that that's where you start to see cracks in the strategy. Okay. Let me give you a rundown of some of these vehicles that that I drove. There's the Lexus IF 300, which is a rear-wheel drive version of the IF. It features a 2-liter four-cylinder turbo with 241 horsepower and 258 pound-feet of torque, and it features an 8-speed automatic transmission. And truly, I really like this this version of the the IF. It's... um, it feels the most sports sedan-y, with the exception of the full-range 350 F-Sport all-wheel drive. Um, if you want all-wheel drive, what they do is they take out the four-cylinder. They give The car's name is the same. It's still called the IS300. <laughs> um, they take out the four-cylinder. They put a V6, a 3.5-liter V6, but it only makes 20 more horsepower than the four-cylinder and 20 less pound-feet of torque than the four-cylinder, and then you get two less gears. And all-wheel drive. Um, and ah. this car felt... It, it feels heavier. Like it doesn't feel fun to drive. It feels a little bit more comfortable. Um, more like a, a lux- an entry-level luxury sedan should feel. And, um, I, and I just don't think that... The, and for a product that's in the middle of this whole lineup, I think uh, it doesn't feel very special. The IS350 with the the real version of the 3.5 liter v6 that makes 311 horsepower and 280 pound feet of torque sounds great feels pretty good but um it costs at least forty five thousand dollars and i don't think that's um that's fair because other other vehicles like a three series will cost that much as well i think the reason that those um that six speed automatic transmission v6 drivetrain combo is still on the order sheet is I would not be surprised if, like the Camry, the V6 version of the IS is 10% of sales. Mm. Okay. So this it doesn't matter. It's it's like they offer it to cater to the people who have to have a six-cylinder and they're not interested in a turbo four. So they're getting, I don't know, three 4,000 sales out of that, perhaps. Uh, three 4,000 sales. What am I saying? They, they sold 15,000 last year. They're getting 1,500 sales yeah. out of that. Um, and then the rest go to the Turbo 4, which is more modern and more efficient, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I, that's probably the whole reason for that. But I have to finish this conversation by telling you what Lexus does right. And that is attention to detail, um, quality craftsmanship in the inside. It doesn't feel like a cheap car. They hide all of the cheap plastics way out of reach, out of your, your line of sight. And it feels like a premium product. 
What about exposed metal? Did you find any exposed no, metal? No, no, no exposed metal. Um, what about, did you pop the hood because you were jonesing? <laughs> yes, of course. Um, and Lexus makes a big deal about their Mark Levinson sound system. I think it's pretty good, but I'm no, I'm by far um, not a, a audiophile when it comes to interior, um, like automotive um, speaker setups. I just don't what have a, the... What about your thing. chanting? How does your chanting sound? Um, pretty good. I would say that um, it's pretty clear. I think I can summon um, the spirits that I need when I'm on the road with my chanting, um, which is pretty, which is good. I think. I'm Do you want to hear? You want to hear an interesting fact about Mark Levinson? Tell me. So he was married to Kim Cattrall for uh, six years. Yeah. She was the. She's a. I, I, I don't think she's Canadian. I think she was on just on a, in a lot of Canadian movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she is. She's a British-born Canadian-American actress. Actor. I don't know what that means. <laughs> But um, I'm mentioning this because they wrote a book together called Satisfaction, The Art of the Female Orgasm. Ooh. So I'll not have, only – I'll have to pick not, that up. So not only, not only is Levinson giving you – Audio-wise, but – Not only is he giving you eargasms, but <laughs> yes. he can help your love life as well. That's very nice. I want to add like Lex in its nomenclature really throws me off. I don't, I, I, I don't know why they renamed the product, the, the base level model, um, a 300 instead of a 250 as it used to be. Um, and then the next level model has the same nomenclature, but an all wheel drive badge to it with a completely different powertrain. Then they have, um, their safety suite is called the Lexus safety system plus 2.5. I don't know what makes it plus or 2.5. Um, I would imagine that if it's just a next generation product, they can either call it tech two or plus not 2.5 plus, which doesn't make, I think it's, <laughs> doesn't make I, sense I, to me. I think they've just always called it plus. I think they just like the sound of plus. So it's just always been there. So what's the point five? I need to find out what the point five part of this, in, this, this safety system is. If it's the pedestrian and cyclist detection or something. You're probably going to be totally okay. Never knowing. I just, <laughs> just want you to know. Why do they do this? It seems like a, a bunch of gibberish when you're reading through um, a product line or you're on the website and you're looking to, to figure out what this car has. And I'm not saying just as a journalist, I'm, I'm sure the consumers are looking at this or they're hearing this from a, from a salesperson, Alexis safety suite 2.5 plus they're going to be like, what does that mean? Like what is so it's special? MA marketing, man. That's all it is. It's, it's unfair. So, um, Ben, anything, any other questions you have about this, about this Lex? I know I didn't really tell you a lot about it. I'm, I'm not the biggest fan. I think the less I say, the better probably. I mean, I'd like to drive it eventually just to get my own impression, but it's not a, I just, you know, when I think about luxury sedans, especially sporty sedans, I just don't think about the IS anymore. I think the first generation IS, I used to think that, uh, it was, it it was exciting. It was new. It it pointed to an interesting direction for the Lexus brand, which didn't have anything sporty until that vehicle came out. Really? Uh, they, I mean, they had the, the SC 400 and the 300, but those were kind of big coupes. So this was this was something fresh, but nowadays I think the IS is kind of faded, and I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it leave like we're going to see the GS leave. That that blows. That really does hurt my heart because I think that as an entry level product, the IS in the past has been actually pretty solid, um, and I I think we should talk about that um, in the future about like what it meant to have a new Lexus product. And I think they came out with two strong products at the, at the high end and at the, at the entry level end that really impressed people enough for them to make, become a, a, a more mainstream, like, uh, or a, a more sought after brand. And I don't, I don't know what, like it's, it would be really a shame for them to really put this car 
out, like to not have it be what it was, what it once well, was. I mean, times are changing, and everyone wants a crossover. So, what are you going to do? You're going to dump money in a car that no one buys. It, but I mean, Toyota's. the three series is still good. Genesis just gave us a, t- a great option in the in the um, in the G70, and are, is using that as a platform for their next crossover. The G, uh, sorry, what is it called? What are they called? Q. What is the name of the G- GX70? GV. GV70. Oh man. Um, it's, but I, I think the 3 Series is fundamental to the identity of BMW in a way that the IS never has been for Lexus. I thought it was there. I thought they were, they were working on that, and it seems like I was way off. So uh, any, anything else you want to you wanna bring up about the IS? No, Ben. Let's wrap it up this week. Okay. Well, uh, if you want to hear our other takes about innovative, non-innovative, or pretty much any other car company, you can find past episodes of the Unnamed Automotive Podcast uh, at www.unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. You can click many of our little link buttons there to subscribe using your favorite podcatcher. Or if you you know, you know just want to go on to Spotify or Apple Play Music or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Amazon Podcasts, Amazon Music, take we're a, everywhere. Take a breath, Ben. We, we we're everywhere. Just type in Unnamed Automotive Podcasts. You will find us. Click and you can listen to uh, every week um, our opinions and ideas and Sammy's strange yet achievable dreams. Yep. Um, additionally, you can uh, get in touch with us really easily. If you go to the website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com, uh, there's a contact form. You fill that out, and it will land right in our inbox. Additionally, if you want to send uh, – you don't want to use the form. You just want to send things the old-fashioned way. You just type in the following in your two line of your email. You write Benjamin at benjaminhunting.com. Um, additionally, you can get in touch with us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. And you can find Ben on Instagram. He's at Hunting Benjamin. All right, Ben, what are you going to be talking about next week? I'm going to be talking about the 2021 Cadillac Escalade, Sammy. No way. Me too. Wait, what? <laughs> oh, goodness. We should really coordinate our, our drives a bit better. But you know well, what? I, tune uh, in for an Escalade-heavy podcast, I yes, guess. Yes, absolutely. Uh, well, you know what? I have a feature in mind for next week as well. So be sure to tune in next week. Okay, Ben? All right. Bye, everybody. Bye.